you know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. Argo J. Henry, how are you, sir? All right. I don't think anybody has ever known or said my actual government last name in public in all the years I've been on it. It's the best of the should we delete that? No, I don't care, man. I don't care. Government names. Yeah. <laughs> well, Argo J is with us today, and we are excited to see him. I'm also excited to see my good friend Michael Sedini. You spent a couple of days uh, staying at my house up here in northern Nevada, but now you're back in Vegas. That's right. Closer. That's right. Uh, historic second uh, uh, online event for our cultural competence course, which we pulled off. Um, I think it was great. I think it gets better every time. Attendance tripled. Uh, life is life is okay. I mean, the world's ending. Life's life's okay. Uh, you know what it is good though. It's good to see your face, Argo. Well, hell, it's good to see you too, man. I haven't seen you in a long time. I haven't seen you since uh, since Vegas, since I was at your house. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's weird because you, when these things happen, you, you know, it's like you see each other. Okay, I'm going to see you here, or I think, okay, I'm going to see you in Atlanta or something at some event that we're supposed to go to, and then the world stops. Yeah. I mean, and you can't you can't even prep for that. You can't mentally prep for it. You definitely can't, you know, um, uh, adjust for it. You know, as far as social social interactions go, uh, because a lot of us rely on those social interactions uh, because that's how we see the majority of our close friends in this community. You know what I mean? So definitely, it's it's weird, man. It's it's weird, but it's good to see you guys. Yeah, you know what I gotta say, as from an outsider's perspective, because I only jumped onto this uh, into this culture, you know, a year year and a half ago, and uh, you and I met in Arizona uh, for the the Gun Rights Policy Conference and uh, shared shared a hot tub that was lovely. Um, Again, content. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, we're two 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 uh, two platonic males sharing a hot tub like Bert and Ernie. I, um, I don't know if I'm Bert or Ernie, but whatever. Hey, uh, Jay, turn my light up for me, buddy. I'm talking to my son here. My son's my my grip over here. <laughs> key, key, a key grip. I've always wanted one of those when I would go to a movie. All right. There we go. <laughs> All right. There we go. I feel better now. That's. That's is that what they mean when they say get a grip? Is like uh, so handle your no, mind. get a grip is just get a hold on shit, man. Oh, damn, I keep forgetting. Can we cut? I cut yes, like you a can't cuss. I told you I'm a pirate, so <laughs> you're allowed to cuss, man. Let yeah. it fly. Yeah. Hey, you know, so when, what what I was saying there is like I, I've, I'm new to the community and the culture, and I'm I'm glad to be welcomed in with open arms by all you guys in the in the two A uh, community. And what I've noticed is it just it just hit me now, like because. Like I text our guests from time to time as I've I've met them or I met them before and we've had them on and and like I've I've actually found myself building these friendships and it's it's really cool and it's it's unique I think in in the face of the world you know pandemic or whatever um, when we can't get together but we're there's so much love among and between individuals like 
like I, f- I really feel like I know you guys. Like I know Mike and I talk all the time, and you, you know, we stay at each other's houses when we have events to do and stuff like that. But like Argo, you like you live halfway across the country. You're up in Wisconsin, and um, and like I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just really nice to be so well embraced, and like there's an authentic appreciation for what everybody has to contribute to this culture. And um, I just want to point that out because I don't know if the listening audience, if you're if you're familiar at all, like. Like these guys are really, really good friends. There, it's a, it's a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Uh, I like it. It's, it's I mean, really- it, it is. I mean, like the first time I met Mike was in Arizona, you know, and we hit it off like I, we've known each other forever. Yeah, you yep. know, like like same. I'm fan of the same musicians, same artists, same music. You know, kind of live similar lifestyles even though he's a lot more buff than I, I am and he made it look little. You know what I mean? But I think but, this is only but, audio, so they would just know yeah. you're trying to make me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but it, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean there was a, there were a lot of similarities there life wise and uh in experience wise. And I mean we just hit it off, man. Like we had, you know, known each other for years and I consider Mike one of my brothers and and I don't I don't extend that that too many people uh very often uh because i'm not a trusting person but uh thank you and likewise brother i feel the same i'm I'm just i'm glad you're here today yeah and i'm not just saying that i mean that that, that's that's the truth and then when i met you uh jake not from state farm it uh it's it it, it, yeah (laughs) it uh it actually it absolutely uh was the same with you i mean i guess it's just because we're even though we're like-minded in many regards and whatnot uh i think the ways that we are different are the things that help bind us also because we don't have to be the same and think the same you know we can be different and it's just cool to find somebody that's so like us but at the same time so different than we are and i'm not even talking about color or culture i'm just talking about as people uh and for those of you that don't know i am black you know it's it's thursday so you know tuesdays and thursdays are my black days but uh (laughs) that's that's really fascinating i've never met a chameleon before yeah i I mean i don't know whatever it flies you know sometimes i identify whatever anyway no but uh but seriously though you know it's just it's just a good thing and the community is like that for the people that are real in the community there are a lot of people that aren't real where this doesn't apply but for the majority it does and the real people it's always the same thing it's always the same thing well um i, I got so much to ask and and i know we'll, we'll the conversation will take us wherever it takes us but um i i want to understand where you got the the triple a in front of your nickname and what it stands for if it stands for anything is it an acronym or is it just like are you, no it is an acronym. A pirate yeah well it's both there's duality so if you look at my logo which i don't have so you can see it but i know the audience won't be able to see it but you can if you go to my website, which is just my name, which is triple A, A A A R G O J A Y dot com. My my name came from it was a joke. Uh, I got my start on YouTube, but how I fin- how I figured out my name was I would go to the range with my buddies, and we would always be like I said, I live in Wisconsin, or like you said, I live in Wisconsin. Uh, I'd go to the range with my buddies, and I'd always be the only black dude at the outdoor ranges and the, the ranges that aren't, you know, in the city or the one range that's in the city because there are no ranges in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, there's only one that's grandfathered in. So uh, go out there and, you know, people would look at us and they'd look at us with these side eyes and say, oh, oh, here come these black dudes. But, you know, usually I use a different word. Um, here come, you know, here, I'm going to say it. Here come these niggers. 
you know, and then they look at us and they're, they're skeptical and leery. And then we pull out the guns and then they're even, it gets even worse. And then they look at the guns and they see, well, wait a minute, these aren't your average guns. These are really cool guns, you know? And uh, so like one time one guy came up to me and said, hey, like, where'd you get that? I said, I built it. He looked at me like I had a thumb growing out of my forehead. And I said, <laughs> and I said, he said, well, where'd you learn to do that? And I said, well, where does anybody learn to do that? You know, uh, but that's kind of what it, where my name came from on the way home two guys, two brothers that I uh, went with, I mean, actual siblings and black. So when I say brothers, I mean both. Um, <laughs> so uh, we were riding back home and I said to them, hey, we should start an organization. We should call it the African-American African American Association for Responsible Gun Ownership. And uh-huh. that's where the Argo came from. And then I just ran with it uh, and put it up there as my moniker because I didn't want my government name out there because I'm an edu- a public school educator. So for a long time, I don't put my name out there because I, I, I just don't want the headache of having to explain myself or defend my position or, you know, my social position, my political position in life to anything uh, or anybody uh, for any reason. So I just uh, went with it and it stuck and I became Argo. <laughs> so That's a cool story. Yeah. I like that. Um, I want, let's let's talk a little bit about like the the race stuff because that's that's hot. That's a hot topic these days. And I, I, I hot topic. For... <laughs> well, yeah. Like, how did you how did you get started? Like, how did you get started? Started? Like, how did you build this brand? Because you hiding now between your regular persona and Argo J is going to be impossible. You're everywhere. And, and, yeah, and that's kind of where you know that's kind of why I disappear and have to unplug for some stability, some emotional and mental stability sometimes. But how I got started is uh, I was watching YouTube and was watching our buddy uh, Noir, Coleon Noir, for those of you that don't know, for those of you that do know, there you go. WTTA uh, board member. There you go. There you go. So, uh, and just an all around good dude, man. Yes. Like just a solid dude. Um, I was watching him do his blogs on the talking dead, the walking dead. I mean, and, just kept watching it because I was a big fan of the show also. And then he started his evolution on his gun journey. And then I was like, well, damn, I've been a gun dude. Uh, so, you know, I was like, well, this is cool. Let me watch him. And I noticed that there weren't many black people. And I, when I say many, I mean any uh, visibly in the spotlight when it came to firearms. And then unfortunately I had a situation where I had to go to the gun. I didn't have to actually pull the trigger, which is a good thing. But I had to go to the gun uh, and that situation was just devastating to me. And I just felt the need for so long to say something publicly about it. And YouTube gave me that 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 outlet. And my first video was actually the video of why. And that's the title of it. Why I needed my AR-15. Not that I and people always say this. You don't have to explain why you need it. We have the Bill of Rights and blah, 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 blah. I'm not explaining why I needed the AR-15. The why I needed my AR-15 is more of a clickbait title. The, the meat of that video, though, is that you can't dictate when and where evil will, will come out and come for you. You can't. You know, um, there was this song by this, this, this uh, group, um, Living Color. I don't know if you guys remember Living Color. Yeah, Cult of Personality. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. And uh, one of the songs was Love Rears Its Ugly Head. And I used to love that song. Uh, but it was, you know, it's the same thing with evil. Like when evil rears its ugly head, you don't know when and where that's going to be. Uh, I didn't, you know, I never lived in the hood. 
but uh you know i guess people saw a black dude on on youtube talking about a, a situation and uh it had to be because i was a drug dealer or because i was a thief or a criminal or something uh and you know that's kind of what motivated me to go even harder with the things that i did in the community so and that's kind of where i got my start yeah i've, I've been doing the I appreciate you saying that because that's i always like to hear everybody's origin stories anyway so thanks for asking that mike um in my other podcast called noggin notes where we do uh, just, it's just mental health I've, I've interviewed a series of black people from around the the world really uh, several from america and a, a couple from overseas and and it was um it's been really illuminating for me to humbly sit and listen to what everybody's story has been and it's interesting that like racism seems to be international and these like unconscious biases seem to be international. And I'm, I'm curious what your journey has been through the, the gun culture, which is largely white, largely male. Uh, Cause we've, we've got some females in here now too, or they're, you know, up and coming and they've got a different story, but what's, what's it been like, like asserting yourself, having a story and then not being stereotypically lumped into whatever we think you need to be for us to have life make sense in our heads. Yeah. Uh, first of all, let me say thank you for saying origin story because that makes me sound like a superhero. So, uh, <laughs> like that's 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 awesome as hell. Uh, but secondly, you know, I really can't say that race has played much of an issue other than the stereotypes that have come that that have come out of you know uh, social media comments and things like that. I know it's in the community. I see it in front of me and it happens to other people and I see things um, and I've become more aware of things on a, on a smaller note when they happen. Uh, but me personally, no, I don't really, I haven't really had any. I've, I've been lucky and blessed enough to surround myself and to align myself with people and companies that don't necessarily have that issue uh, or that, that way of thinking. Uh, but it's definitely prevalent. It's definitely present in the community. Uh, and it hides itself sometimes, unfortunately, behind the flag of patriotism, uh, which is sad. Uh, a lot of times people say, well, we're doing this to be patriotic. But when you look at it, it's only because, not because, it's only when things happen and it's a black-white thing. You take like Ahmaud Arbery, for example, okay, in Georgia. Uh, you take the killing of this man. Well, they, they do it because they are protecting their community. But no, you weren't, you know there were several counts of people doing the exact same thing that he was doing, but he's the only one that you trailed, uh, yelled racial epithets at and killed. He's the only one. There were white children that did it. There were men, there were women that went in that building. Uh, I've shit. When I was growing up and when I would see a, a house under construction, I would go into the construction. If when it was open, if the site was open, that's fascinating. Yeah. Like who doesn't do that? And, this, and the young man happened to want to be a carpenter. Yes, he had made some mistakes prior in his life, but he wanted to be a carpenter. So how do we know he wasn't going in there to see how it was actually done, you know, to get ideas to help change his life and to help him evolve and to help his evolution? So, you know, things like that and, and this whole situation after uh, George Floyd's murder, uh, you know, despite of what he did in his life to warrant the title of bad guy or whatever 
doesn't mean that he deserved to be murdered. Um, and the support of him or lack of support uh, shows that ugly racist train of thought that's hidden under the patriotism. Now, I'm not speaking about BLM because I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter organization itself. However, I do agree with the sentiment of Black Lives Mattering, and I do agree with the ideal of it, and I do think that there is a problem when we talk about how Black Americans are treated in the eyes of law enforcement. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a person who's anti-law enforcement. In fact, law enforcement plays a big part of my life and in my life prior to me being in education. So I'm not anti-law enforcement by any means, but I'm not blind either. So, uh, you know, there is that. But in the community itself, um, you know, I do see a lot of times that, that the, race, the racist ideal and ideologies are still there, but they're well hidden sometimes, and sometimes they're not. So. Yeah, I, as someone who's been in this this industry, and and I went into this industry because of nepotism, right? I went in because of my family, and it was kind of like, okay, Mike, you're going to work with us. You don't you don't have an option. So yeah. I went in and just observed a lot in the beginning, right? Because you know I had to find a way to relate to some of these people because I had never grown up hunting and fishing, um, shooting guns. I didn't. It wasn't something that I lived for to do. It's fun, but. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I did notice that, you know, over the years, people can't say things like Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. You got to do one or the other. You can't have a nuanced conversation. It's almost like they check every box. You know what I mean? And it's been something that's been disappointing for me because I think a lot of these situations, you could look at them individually. and, And if you see a police officer doing something wrong or something that was wrong, Fry his ass. Like, like say it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't want to see black people die. I don't want to see cops die. I don't want to see the, you know what I mean? Like, and I feel like. I don't want to see anybody I die. I don't want to see anybody die. And they, they always seem to do that. It's like it, clockwork. When something happens, they're like, well, what about his past? <laughs> like, but that, that only comes up when there's a black man, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's bananas to me. Like, uh. For example, uh, the young man in Minnesota that got killed, uh, Philando Castile. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philando Castile was a legal gun owner who was killed by a pussy cop. Uh, uh, and the next thing that comes out was, oh, well, he he was, was high on marijuana. I mean, come on. I smoked pot for a long time in my life. Am I a bad guy? Like, so many people do so many other things that are far worse than what this man did. And he was murdered in front of his fiance and daughter. Yeah. And to justify that, he smokes weed and that makes him a bad guy and that makes it okay. That is not okay, America. Like, we have got to stop doing that. The same thing with Breonna Taylor. Like, I support good law enforcement. I support good policing. That's it. I support good policing and good men and women that wear the badge. If you're not, you're not. If you make a mistake, you're human, but own that mistake. Don't cover it. Don't hide it. Deal with it. But, I mean, we're so in this self-preservation mode, <clears throat> excuse me, this era of self-preservation that, you know, I can't lose my life. I can't lose what I set up. So so what? I took somebody's life. A lot of times it's regardless of the color of the, of the victim. But look at the Breonna Taylor thing. Oh, she dates bad guys or she's a trap queen or she's this, that. No, she was asleep in her bed. Her boyfriend was a legal firearms owner. And 
there was some there's some sketchiness going on, but she didn't deserve to die. She didn't deserve to die. And when I say sketchiness, I mean there's some there's some translation of events that are lost because that stuff still does the whole the whole scenario doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't. Like I don't get how he how she was already dead, but he's on the phone with nine one one, but they say that they shot first. Like if they shot first, do you think he would have had time to make a phone call without them, you know, returning fire? Like that that didn't that doesn't make sense to me. The, the timeline doesn't make sense to me. And I've tried to listen to it a number of different ways. And I hear the explanations, but it just doesn't whatever. We're not here to talk about that. But the 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 racism is there. And it's it's you, hidden under the veil of patriotism a lot of times. I'm a patriot. You know, I'm I'm a patriot. I don't care what color you are. If you fly that flag that's red, white, and blue and it has fifty stars on it, uh you're my brother or you're my sister, and I'll fight for you. And if I know you very well, I'll even put my life on the line for you. Well, hell, most times, I mean, I carry a gun, so that means I'll put my life on the line for people I don't know, just as a byproduct of being a gun owner and a concealed carry holder. How but, many how many years are you? Would you say you're in the industry? This will be my eleventh year. Okay, so at eleven years, because I think about this a lot, right? And I've had I've actually had arguments with people. It's funny, and then they tell me something like, "Attend a show," and I'm like, "I have booths at them. I buy these big okay. booths." <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm in the show. I'm yeah. The show. <laughs> so, uh, do you, have you seen it get better? Do you feel it's getting better? Yes and no. Um, it's getting better because black gun ownership is on the rise, uh, and it was on the rise far before, well before this whole ordeal of the unrest in America. Uh, it was just on the rise. But when we look at things on the grand industrial complex of gun, the gun industry, like it's not. Uh, you look at the NRA. Like I was a member of the NRA for a very long time. And, and just now I'm being vocal about it. Uh, but, you know, we were myself and some other black advocates. And by the way, thank you for saying black and not African-American, because there have never been a group of people that have been so sans identity for uh, so long that uh you know we have to have different names for and it's like come on now i'm an american so and if you need to describe me i'm black you know i'm black you're white it's it is what it is it's not racist it's not bad it is what it is so at any rate uh you know the nra we took our concerns to the nra and we were told that they were going to run things up the ladder and say hey you know people are there's a need and uh there are, are resources in place already in the communities to help us diversify. And yeah, it's such a great idea. Yeah, we want to do it. Yeah, we want to do it. Come to find out, I was I and a lot of other people <clears throat> were getting smoke blown up our asses and uh, they weren't doing it. They had no intention on diversifying. They had no intention on publicly or visually diversifying. They had Coleon Noir and that was enough. You know, the Highlander theory. You know, there can only be one for those of you that know about Highlander. Uh, but, uh, you know, and it's like, uh, come on, like you're missing out on real activism. And once that was noticed, I had to let my NRA membership lapse and I will no longer support them until the administration um, changes its beliefs and the way they handle things, you know, on top of 
on top of everything else. Hey, I'm gonna let you guys talk for one second. I've got to go get my door real quick. I'm, I yeah. apologize. <laughs> sure, go ahead, um, Mike. I want to I want to circle back to something that uh, Argo was talking about there with with regard to um, like people's people get so defensive, right? When something comes their way that um, that doesn't doesn't align with them, and they have to like root themselves in and and like get you know, almost attack the quote unquote, the other side. So it's like, you know, either blue lives matter or black lives matter. And you can't say all lives matter because the narrative is one must be, you know, emerge. And, and he, he did, he did a good job of um, mentioning that he tried to absorb a lot of facts from the, the Breonna Taylor case. Like, I don't think a lot of people these days are interested in having their minds changed or simply, absorbing new information or being patient even it's like we all have to like carve our part out real quick make our declaration of where we are and then never move (laughs) right and and it's to me it's it's frightening because we get this conflation of ideas and beliefs with sense of self and and it's like what i believe is who i am and if that comes under fire i will defend it even if it's wrong because to not defend it or to let to question it is to question self. And that gets very emotional. It's very defensive. Cause if you don't know, if you don't know who you are, then that's very scary. So for him to say, you know, I had to, you know, let go of my NRA membership until things change at some point in the future, I think was very progressive as well. It's very, it's very enlightened because he's allowed to change his mind. We're allowed to change our minds. Um, are you, I guess my question now to you, because we're talking about the industry and people changing, are you seeing a willingness to embrace things like new, new cultures of gun owners? That's not just the, you know, 40 to 75 year old straight white male. Um, are you seeing a change in willingness to embrace mental health discussions? Cause that's what we're here for. Like what, what are you seeing over your years I- of this? I think it's getting better on the influencer side and kind of the uh, advertising side of it. Like, you know, there was a time when I got to be honest, like my first couple of NRA shows, you just didn't see any diversity. (laughs) Um, It just was, you know, and I'm sitting here trying to relate to some people that I have nothing in common with. You know what I mean? Like I'd sit at a table and these guys would all be talking about hunting and I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) can we talk about something else? Because, you know, they're enjoying it. They could talk about it for hours where I have seen it as a complete failure to me is on the, the, the business side. Um, you know, I had Eagle imports. I had Rafael Davales, Puerto Rican. He, you know, I had him in a, in a, in a, in a management position in a high level role. And we used to joke around because, you know, we're like, there's no minorities in, in these major positions at all these companies. Um, it just seems like if there is hiring of that, you know, I'm probably going to get some shit for, for saying this, but I'm being honest. If there is hiring, it's always a warehouse guy. Mm. You know what I mean? It's never the face guys. So what I do like, I guess, um, is, is people like Argo and, and people like Collins and people like Kevin, they are coming forward and doing it themselves. They're being their own business. Um, yeah. You know, you bring up a good point and, and Jay, you left, you left at the right time actually. So what, what I mentioned was um, I, 
I see this like ego defensiveness with people who have a belief in an ideology that they've conflated with their identity of who they are. So to question the belief or the ideology means it's an attack on them as a human being, as opposed mm-hmm. to just the idea. And then they get all defensive and they don't want to move. And, um, I asked Mike, like, are you seeing this start to relax in the industry over, over your many years? And, and he left off with that, that question. And I was going to ask you before you, you answered the door, it, it would be nice to see people in, in leadership roles, it obviously has to start people of color, pe- women, um, you know, like anybody other than the straight white male who's, you know, 45 to 75. Um, but the, it's got to start with, with a, with a welcoming, you know, we got to recruit people in and be like, Hey, it's <laughs> like, this is for everyone. Right. Um, and then it becomes a question of like, who's applying and who really, who really wants to go there too. Cause I, I see the same thing in like pro sports. We're always talking about how, like how few black head coaches there are and how few black executives there are in a, in sports like basketball and football that are just massively dominated by black players. And then it's like, well, what is your opportunity? Go be your own business. It's like, yeah, but what's up with the culture of the industry that's not making that welcoming or inviting. So I'm, I'm wondering, did the NRA purposely suppress <laughs> Or were they just not interested, or is it just a lack of people who wanted the the jobs? Like I don't I don't know the dynamics. Maybe you guys don't either. I think it's I think it's all of the above. I think it is. I think it's you know it's D. It's all of the above. Um, there are definitely people interested in the jobs, but if if and it's not necessarily the jobs. Um, it's just the recognition of if you're the National Rifle Association, that means you support gun ownership on a national level. And if we're talking about that picture of nationality or nationalism, it's very multicultural. Okay. And you can't continue to represent this multicultural nation with just old white guys in pictures, no women, no people of color, and I hate that term "people of color" too. You might as well call me a colored person so I could smack you. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, but it's like uh, you know, we, we've got to shake this. You know, we've got to shake it. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with a group of old white guys getting together and saying, "Hey, we're American." That's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying in, in, in the least. What I'm saying is, if you are representing the people then represent the people. And that's it. It's just that simple. The same way that I say that our elected officials should represent the people. Like Joe Biden is up there talking this crap about, and I, and, and I don't care who you voted for one way or the other. Um, uh, I mean, I do care, uh, but I don't, I don't judge you for it. Okay. I don't judge you for it. I just ask that whoever you vote for and whoever you want to run this country, you hold accountable and you, you know, put the fire to their, to their backside if you believe in certain things, specifically the Second Amendment in this, in this conversation. So anyway, uh, you know, it, it, I'm sorry, my son distracted me over there. You okay? All right. So, um, I, you know, I guess it's just that, that, what the hell was I saying? Hold people accountable. Joe Biden saying stuff. Prior to that. Uh, people of color need you don't like to be called people of color <laughs> between the two. So let's you didn't care who they voted for, but you do you care, right? Right? I don't know. I, I guess it's, oh, 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 got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it. So, so I guess what I'm saying is, like, I, I don't care who uh, you are as a person, um, and what you believe, as long as you believe in this nation and in this country, 
uh, and if you do so, then that means you have to be inclusive of everybody. You can't just say, uh, this is who it is. And then we support everybody, but every, every visual isn't that right. You know, I'm, I'm Catholic. All right. So people say, Oh, there's a black Catholic. Yes, there are black Catholics. There are a lot of black Catholics. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, you know, I'm Catholic and we just went to, we just had our, uh, our, um, the uh, we were redoing the Catholic Church. I'm drawing a blank right now. Anyway, uh, and a couple of years ago, and we had these big, big meetings, and they were like, "Yes, this is what we're going to do going forward, and we're going to put together this sort of uh, media outreach, and this is what it looks like." And then the videos came up, and they were well done, well produced. Next thing you know, everybody black in the room was like, "Where, where are we in the video?" You know, and half the room, you know, is is either Latino or Hispanic uh, or black, you know, and where are we? Where's our representation, you know, in that video? You know, it was just all white Catholics and it was like, you gotta redo the video. You gotta redo the video. And that's what the NRA has to do. And that's what I like about some of the other company, uh, the other organizations that are um, coming up uh, as far as gun rights and, and preserving gun rights and fighting for gun rights, because I think they're a lot more inclusive in fact, I think that they they grab a hold of the inclusivity and say, this is our this is one of our our legs of our foundation. You know, we mean that we're about everybody and we're gonna stand on it, you know, like Gun Owners of America, like Firearms Policy Coalition, like uh, what's the other one? Uh, I forgot it. Having a senior moment. This is what happens when you get over forty. Well, I mean, there, there's so many organizations you could you could just go off individuals too, like with mm-hmm. what Yehuda does with Pew Pew Jew, right? Um, Arm equality, you know, the blazing swords. Like, I, I, you, there's mm-hmm. so many different. Edgar. Or, yeah, Edgar, Guns for Everyone. What he does mm-hmm. in, the, in the Latino mm-hmm. community is incredible. This is the Two pro- for everyone with Tony Simon. You know what I mean? Like, yes. So. Yes. So, I mean, we, 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 that's what I mean when I said earlier, Jake, we're getting better, right? Cause these things did not exist. Like when I got into the industry back in like 98. Um, but this is the problem because we've ignored this for so long. And this is what I always try to say to, to the people in the industry now, like, I get it. Like sometimes I start talking about mental health and they kind of probably shut down or like, Oh yeah, he's out there doing good. I don't know what he does, but we didn't do enough of this where we were kind of, being socially conscious, um, trying to make Earth better, and now it's come to bite us in the ass. Um, if, if we would have just started to be inclusive and, and worked on that, and we wouldn't be looked at as just old white men. You know what I mean? Uh, we waited so long that it, in the public court opinion, and I know there's a lot of guys who are like, I don't care about the public opinion. I just want to write my Second Amendment right. Well, you do, though. Because you bitch about them not liking you all the time because of the, the guns. You know what I mean? And, 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 it, and we talked about this, Jake, on the, the little podcast we did. It was like Eminem from 8 Mile. You really want to you really want to protect your Second Amendment right? Take everything that they're going to say about you that's negative away from them. Be better mm-hmm. at everything than them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I am a bum. I do live with my mom. You all did beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's exactly. true, you know. That look at the NRA now. The NRA is like, uh, I mean, nobody when when they came to me at Chacho and the guy said, "Hey, what can we do, you know, to be more involved at, uh, with Walk Talk America?" I joked around. I said, "You could stand ten feet over there and wave to me." Like that's how we can get down right now because. And he goes, "Man, I know we got an image issue." <laughs> you think? 
But they don't. But they're not. They're they're. We got an issue. <laughs> we see it, but we don't give a shit. We're not going to do anything about it. So, yeah, you know, they told doctors I mean, to stay in their lane. How great was that? Like they told who? Remember, remember when the doctors came out and it was an emotional anti-gun thing, saying the damage that you know, mm, you know, mm, from mm. ARs. And their response was, "Stay in your lane." <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, I don't yeah. know who who who's writing the PR for them. I, I mean, maybe it's a character from The Simpsons, but it could be. It could be. Yeah, like that. That who you know that's not going to go over well, and you're never going to get anything accomplished. You're just going to make everybody that hates you hate you ten times worse. Yep. Yep. I, you I mean, know what I mean? Go okay, ahead, Jake. Sorry, sorry, Jake. Uh, I was going to say, from from my perspective, what I'm seeing here is like, so I'll, we've got a, a conservative and liberal thing too going on, right? So, you know, speaking of cultures, you know, forever and ever is associated, you know, conservatism and guns were associated with one another. And I'm learning very, very rapidly that that is not at all the case. And yes, there may be a, a broader tilt to one side or the other, you know, in the political sphere. But I, I think what the conservatives, uh, and I would not count myself among conservatives. I'm more of a libertarian, I guess, than anything, but I'm very, very centrist. What I'm observing is that the conservatives recoil when they hear words like diversity and inclusiveness and, and, you know, and all that stuff, because it inherently means another questioning of their belief system. And, you know, what does this mean? And they've been beat across the head and shoulders with inclusivity and diversity to the point of harm now, where it's like, it's like, we can't just include people. We have to force things into your life that you may not want. And I think where the gun community can do it right is say inclusiveness stops when we're inclusive. Like we, we just invite people in because under this commonality of, of second amendment rights and, and personal protection and freedoms and, and beliefs and responsibilities. And we don't tell other people what to believe. We just say everybody in the same circle. We don't have to say everybody in the same circle and now you sacrifice some of what you you bring. And we say, you bring everything, you bring everything, you bring everything that you have, you bring it, and we all live together. And and I think where the messaging has historically gone wrong with a lot of this, like I can just speak from my own profession, the diversity training, it's like, it's not good enough to be non-racist. You have to be anti-racist. And it's like, well, well, where do I know to draw the line? How much is enough? And it's like, more how do I know when more like, well, when's more, you know, and then it becomes this like critical race theory where it's like you, you deny all of yourself and the, and good luck catching the nebulous moving target. Cause we don't even know what it is. And, and before you know it, you've, you've, you've become so off putting that the entire message has gotten lost. And I think that we're at a point now, what I've learned from talking to, to Randy from liberal gun owners and, um, and you, you guys, and, and I, I'm like, this is this could be the budding of something really really cool, as long as all the individual organizations don't nitpick, right? Mm-hmm. And right. And, I, and I hear that over and over, like the like the the influencers are like fighting each other. It's like, why? What are you? What are you doing? <laughs> and I don't understand it. Right. It, it, it's just. Let me give you an example. And I hate to keep picking on the NRA, but fuck them. Uh, so <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, for real, because they. It's just, it's just, you, for those of you that don't watch sports, we, we're, um, uh, this is, this is the alley-oop of all alley-oops. If you don't know what alley-oop is, you throw the ball up near the hoop, somebody who can jump really high uh, and, and is really strong takes the ball and slam dunks it in. Okay. Those are for people who don't know what an alley-oop is. And that, and that would be basketball, not uh, golf. That, that, that's correct. That's correct. So 
uh, every, I don't know if people know who Maj Ture uh, is uh, with Black Guns Matter, not Black Lives Matter, not to be confused with Black Lives Matter. They're two, two totally separate entities. Um, Maj Ture has put together a community outreach program that's centered around conflict, conflict res, uh, resolution, de-escalation, firearm safety training, uh, and he's taking it into the metropolitan inner cities and cities in America where the information has been disproportionately disseminated, okay? He set that up, has been doing it for years, was working with Chris Cox uh, at the time, was the VP of uh, the NRA pretty much, right? And Chris Cox was pretty much on board with it. Uh, and he was trying to do what he could do to make the introductions and make things happen. And the NRA had a chance to take a resource that was already set up. They didn't have to do any legwork. The legwork was already done by Maj. All they had to do was put funding towards it, which is probably another issue, you know, because why should we spend money on this particular demographic when this particular demographic doesn't show, the results don't show that this demographic is going to pay out in the long run, but it is. Because if you look at it now, the largest population that are, that are gun owners or new gun owners are black Americans, okay? And the largest population within that is women. So let's, let's, let's really look at things for what they are and look at the opportunity missed that the NRA had to take the program of Black Guns Matter and get along and get on board with it. Not, not talking about take over, but say, hey, we see you, we're here, we're fighting with you. You know, but no, they they totally shunned the idea, fired Chris Cox. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? And it was it, it was just bad, man. It was just a bad situation. And and that's when the bitterness got real uh, in my mouth there. The taste was just horrible. If and, you if you took. The suit budget, just the <laughs> suit budget, that, suits and boots, suits and boots. <laughs> You could you could have got like Devin Perkins from uh, Kids to Kings, Maj, just the suit budget, what he spent in suits, mm-hmm. right? You could have got five or six people that are are boots on the ground in the community. You could get an Edgar, uh, you know, because I'm sure you know these guys are already hustling already and 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 you know trying to get money wherever they can. If you came in right. and said instead of sixty thousand dollars on this little suit here and <laughs> right yeah. right these italian boots here yeah like 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 the documentary could have been done and funded filmed and everything right you know when i, when I say the documentary for those of you who don't know i love a documentary but you know that, we, the, the we gotta talk about that too so I mean, yeah we, we definitely can talk about that but like it's it's the work is out here people are out here struggling to get the work done but yet still we're doing the work and not complaining about it we're doing the work without the help and saying, okay, you missed an opportunity. You turned your back on me, so I can't support you. That's fine. I'm, it's not going to stop me. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep fighting, keep climbing. Okay. Uh, like just you turning me down, a, a rejection is not um, me losing ground. That's me knowing where not to walk. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that's the difference. Um, I- I know exactly what you mean. And something that dawned on me last uh, October, whenever we went down to Arizona uh, for that conference, I was listening to some of the conversations and then um, in scrolling some of the Instagram posts of of various people, I was like, 
holy cow, what's going on in the NRA is exactly almost identical to what went on in the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, which is my, ostensibly it was my professional association. I also dropped my membership because they stopped caring about the members. They centralized power. They shut down all the local state chapters. Um, they left us basically homeless. They, they couldn't get along with anybody. There was this weird purity of the blood thing where it's like, if you're not an MFT, you can't do systems therapy and treat couples and families. And, and, and it made all the, the, the little MFT marriage and family therapists, you know, like in all the communities hate the social workers, the psychologists, the psychiatrists, the professional counselors, the alcohol and drug counselors. And there was this narrative and it's still up on the website. The last I know, I don't know. I, ch- I haven't checked in several months cause I don't really give a shit, but the, it was, oh, oh, it was one of the, there's four buttons you could click. And one of them was protecting, you know, defending your profession. And it was like, all this fear-based language about they're coming to steal your jobs. All these other mental health professionals are coming to steal your jobs and donate to our pr- preserve the, the, the profession fund. And all they were doing was sucking money up to the top and never sending it back down. And, and it was so maddening. And meanwhile, I'm watching Congress repeatedly fail to pass legislation that would allow marriage and family therapists to bill Medicare. We still can't get in network with Medicare. I can't treat the elderly. Like it's, it's mind bending to me because our association was too busy augmenting itself and centralizing power. And there's this, this old phrase, and I forget the attribution, but it's, you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think we attribute that mostly to politics, right. And elected officials and government heads, but it it goes through organizations too. And nonprofit organizations, uh, I think maybe in particular because they come become so insular and addicted to the to the power and the influence and the wealth and the fame and the and the whatever they they have in their heads that they forget about the people who got them there. And now I'm wondering, and that's all to tee up this, because uh, my my frustration is, I could soapbox for a while about that, but I wonder where all these new gun owners land. Where where is their voice going to be heard? In, a, in an organized, cohesive professional association that goes and does lobbying, governmental affairs, reports back on those things. It's all been like, as I can see it, it's kind of disjointed and fragmented. You got a bunch of different people posting about different things. and There's all this activism. And um, one thing I heard Rob say at one speech was, you know, to the crowds, like, repeat after me, I am the gun lobby. I am the gun lobby. Like you, the individual are the gun lobby. And like, that's a that's a pretty cool message to send. And it, and it made me really pause and think. But it's like, what about the people who weren't in that room? How are they going to, like, how are all these five, six million new gun owners the last eight months going to align themselves so that their voice can be heard and not stomped out by, you know, politicians who don't have the second amendment in, in mind as something to be respected. You know, I don't, I don't know where, where that goes or what happens. I think that's why we as advocates and people, and when I say advocates, I mean, anybody who's publicly professed their support of the second amendment. Um, Not that you are always on television or at a rally or speaking or somewhere, but if you publicly speak about the importance of the second amendment and the, the the ability to defend what you've worked hard to build uh, and protect, you're an advocate, Um, which brings me to something else that I'll cover in a second. But, you know, I, I think I think they'll turn to people like like me, like you guys, like Maj, like KD, like Noir. You know, as far as specifically speaking about this new demographic of, of Black American gun owners, uh, because there's really no home for them. There's no home base. 
So they have to go to where they feel comfortable. And if that means somebody that looks like them, then we have to be sure that we're putting our best foot forward at all times and saying, hey, look at me, follow my lead, we'll bring you in, we'll welcome you. And that's not always true for the community itself. Uh, so many black people have shunned the community and stayed away from it. Uh, they're gun owners, but they don't wanna be a part of anything to do with the Second Amendment community because mm -hmm. it's, it's horrible. There's a gun store here where if you go into it, uh, they tell you in order to enter the store, you have to have your concealed carry permit. Uh, in order to buy a gun, you have to be a concealed carry holder, which is not true. Okay, it's not true. But what they're doing is weeding out people and they're isolating people of color. I said the damn thing myself. Damn it. Um, they're, they're isolating people <laughs> of different cultures and demographics. Okay. Uh, and that's what they're doing. And it's it's just horrible. And that kind of thing is prevalent in the community. Uh, is it warranted? Probably not. Uh, it, maybe in their minds it's warranted, but it's not. Uh, but the, the crazy thing is, my dad used to say something, and this is what I think is true as far as people who are non-white Americans. Uh, there you what, go. Yeah. What's the difference uh, between a black man uh, from the hood and a black man with the Ph.D.? And the answer is nothing. They're both niggers to everybody else. So, you know, mm. and it's and it's 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 eye opening if you really look down and break that down and and unpack that. Uh, and it's the truth. You know, it's the very it's the very truth. Police. Certain police officers who don't understand what it means to be a member of a community and serve that community at the same time are, are, are guilty of this. They'll treat a person who's black horrible, horrible, just a regular person. But you get a superstar or a celebrity to come through and the way that they or, or somebody with money that's, you know, you're driving a Mercedes Benz and you live in this part of town uh, where it's more affluent, you know, then your treatment is different. Even if you're black, your treatment is different. Now, it's not always the same. It's not always like that. But that's 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 prominent. That's prevalent. So and it's real. But. I think we have to get past this one identity of black people or, or people that are not white Americans. Like, you know, all Mexicans are dirty uh, uh, orange pickers. You know, I'm just picking something. I'm not being a stereotypical or racist prick. I'm just saying something or uh, all, all Asians are, you know, or what, or this, or all black people are this, or all Hispanic people are that, or whoever, whatever the, the group is. We have to stop lumping everybody into these specific groups and say, hey, the one group that we are all a part of is what matters, and that's the American society. And once we can start to do that, I think things will change. You uh, think people even agree on what American society or patriotism means anymore? Is there too much like vitriol about that too now? Yeah, there is. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's what our personal ideals are and ideas are. Um, if it fits me, then that's what it is. If it doesn't fit me, then it can't be anything else. You know, so, and I think that's just exactly what it is. So, it, so this is, a, you know, guns and mental health. We've talked a lot about guns. We've talked a lot about, you know, um, race relations. I, I want to talk about mental health for a second because I get to, because I'm one of the co-hosts and I'm the mental health guy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you recently went through some, uh, some real tough physical 
stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. you, had, you had some some heart stuff go on, and you uh, were pretty sure you caught the Rona. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you, but you also had some rewinding back to last year. You 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 quit drinking, quit smoking cigars and stuff like that. And um, I want to know what the what the mentality, what the psychology was like going through that. Like, how was that for you? Because um, I think as dudes, we're not great at acknowledging that we have areas of improvement. Uh, I don't want to say weaknesses. I don't want to say failures. I just, we can always improve, but we're not great at saying that because it means we have to be vulnerable and we have to be vulnerable enough to receive feedback and then maybe change our minds on some things. And you, you did it. Like you, you went through that, you acknowledged, you, you made some changes. Um, and then you got hit with this other thing this summer. Uh, so, I mean, talk a little bit about that and what was, what was the, the mental process like? All right, let me let me back it up because I think it I think it, it's all relative, and I'm not afraid to say failures because if we don't acknowledge failures for what they are, we never get past them, and we never uh, we'll keep making those same mistakes and keep failing. I believe so. Oh, yes, there have been things that I have failed at, and yes, I have weaknesses. I think the strength of a man is in acknowledging that he has failures and weaknesses, but having the ability to grow and take those and mold himself back into something whole i think that's where we become strong um and not saying you know oh nope i can't be weak i can't fail no i have one of my weaknesses is right there across from me my eight-year-old son you know two of them are in in georgia my my two daughters you know what i mean those are my weaknesses and i and i they will always be that but at the same time they are my strengths um they are the best part of me so we have to acknowledge things for what they are but going back to what you said you know, there was a long period of time where I was suffering emotionally and mentally, didn't even know it, you know, uh, and more recently, even I started to realize it. I reached out for help and I started to be more proactive in, in addressing my mental health issues, uh, going to therapy and not being afraid to say something is wrong, uh, because a lot of times that's the problem. Like we know something is wrong, but we're scared to say it. We're scared to get labeled. We're scared of what other people are going to think. And fuck that. Like, like, I don't care because like at the end of the day, you don't have to live with yourself. I mean, with, with me, I do. So I don't care what you think about me doing this because that man right there, that young man right there was one of the reasons I changed. Um, I didn't want him to see his father that broken man, you know, I didn't want him to see his father that hurting and confused man that I was. I didn't want to see that. I didn't want him to have that for a father because I couldn't be a good father. I couldn't do my job as a man, as a father, I mean, if that was the case. So I sought help. And in doing so, I started to realize that, number one, it was okay because it was good. You know, and it was good because it was hurtful. It was hurtful because it brought up the truth of what was real inside of me that I had. I didn't even know. Okay, uh, and I wasn't okay with what I found out at first because it made me look in the mirror, and it made me place blame not on everybody else that I had placed blame on, but on myself and squarely on my own shoulders, which is probably probably the hardest thing to do for a lot of people to say, no, that's on me. I messed up. I did this. It's my fault. Um, And I did that. And when I did that, life began to shine 
a little bit differently. Uh, the sun shined like almost every day. I could stop, you know, waking up and 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 feeling like uh, I don't want to say this, but I, I I never thought about actually hurting anybody. But I would always wake up and say, "Is today the day that I'm going to kill somebody?" You know what I'm saying? And I and I've never had the issue, the 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 uh, desire to hurt myself or to kill myself. But a lot of people do because we all handle this this we all handle our inability to handle our mental health or, or deficiencies in mental health in different ways. And for me, it was the destructive lifestyle. It was smoking weed. It was drinking a lot, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot. It was uh, fornication with a lot of women, so a lot of women, like, you know, it was all of that. And whereas it's not me saying, hey, I'm ready to die. I'm trying to kill myself. But it's still a destructive. Those are still destructive behaviors. Those are still things that tear our bodies and minds down even more. And a lot of that is just to call the pain of what we go through, you know, yep. and to try to cover up the fact that we're hurting. Yep. You know? And, you know, you have an emotional problem. I mean, you have, you know, you have a fallout with an ex. What do you do? You go look for another girl and try to, you know, not deal with the situation, not deal with what's going on, but let's just push it away. And, you know, do what we do and then I'll be better. I'm better because, I, you know, out of sight, out of mind type of thing. But no, it's still there. So I went through all of that, man. Uh, I even went on, I, it, even to the point where I was, I went public with it because I felt that, and I think, Mike, I think you were yeah. a part of that. Well, I was, well, yeah, it was an Instagram live that you did. And, um, you know, for me, that I was like, yes, there's another guy, you know, like that made me feel closer to you and I didn't even know you like that yet. You know, I was kind of like, good. Another person's just flying out, uh, talking about mental health in the open, you know, to gun people, <laughs> you know, for a while yeah. I thought it was the only one. And, you know, it's like meeting people like you and Kevin. Yeah, you did it, man. That was, a, that was probably one of the best IG lives I've ever ducked into. And I was just glad <laughs> I stayed and, and, well, you know, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. And that's, that's actually where we met, I think was that night you know, uh, where the introduction was made, but my buddy Ken Scott from Perfectus group yep. and I had been going through some, the same thing just in different places, because as men, we're taught to not show our feelings and to suck it up and, you know, compartmentalize. Well, and, even and, as a black man, come on. Like, I mean, that too, that too, you know, it's even more, you know, when you're black, because you got to be strong because you can't let massa see you break down, you know, but, and that's where it comes from. You know, it comes from the fact that we had to always show strong, uh, because we never knew the outcome of weakness. You can't let that let people think that you're weak because you're already at a disadvantage. So and not, and not reaching out for help from the medical community anyway, based on suspicion from the past. You know, mm -hmm. like absolutely. And that it, and it's that judgment that we that we talk about. You know, so and it's like uh, uh, I I just said forget it, man. Like like if I'm going through this, there's no telling how many other people are going through this. And I was vocal about it publicly. But, you know, I thought I got my life on track and things were going well and then hit SHOT Show. And I don't know, it's not confirmed that I had Corona or not, but I think I did. Um, a lot of the symptoms were there. And this was in early, late January, early February, right when it pretty much hit the country. Uh, but SHOT Show, if, for people who don't know, is a tuna, a sardine can full of people from all over the world. People from China, people from all over Europe, people from all over America. Uh, and you are literally walking around a convention center, breathing all over everybody. So I'm quite sure a lot of us had the Rona. 
Um, who knows? Maybe not. Maybe it was just a fluke. But at any rate, after that, I developed a heart condition. All of us just, I, apparently it was something that I was living with for a while, but it just finally, you know, uh, got worse and we were able to catch it. And I ended up having heart surgery June 1st. So you're talking about kind of backtracking onto a lot of the progress that I made because now I didn't know if I was going to live. I didn't know what was going to happen to my peanut over there. For those of you that are listening, like I'm talking about my son sitting across from me. Um, I didn't know. And it scared me to a play. It took me to a place. It scared me beyond belief. And it took me to a place that I thought that I would never be. And it was to the place where I, I legitimately had to think about what if I die? You know what I mean? And that can be a dark, dark place. Um, luckily for me, I was able to talk to some people who had gone through some heart surgeries. Uh, there's a guy named C.T. Fletcher. I, think, I don't know if you guys know, a bodybuilder who had a full heart transplant. Um, and, you know, he kind of coached me through it and, and all that. And, and I made my peace with it. And if I was, if I was going to go, I was going to go. And I was prepared to go. And, you know, if I did, things were, you know, in line so that my kid would be taken care of. Um, my kid, my girls are older and they're grown, you know, so I'm not so worried about them. Yes, they would have mourned their father and, and been sad, but my son is eight. He needs me, uh, you know, and he def and he's he's a boy, and I don't want selfishly. I don't want another man to raise my son, but moreover, I need to make sure. And this is probably selfish too that he's going to be a man when he grows up and a responsible, productive part of the citizenry. So um, I got work to do. But anyway, uh, you know, so those health issues can, they can set you back, man. Like I thought I was good with where I was mentally, but I found myself right back there. And then on top of not being able to smoke or drink or, or do all that, it gets pretty low at times. It gets pretty low because we use those as outlets. They don't, they don't, you know, it's, it's a symptomatic thing. They're, they're sort of treating the symptoms. They're not curing. They're not, it's not a, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a curative. It's not. It's just, you know, let's numb the pain for a minute so that we fall asleep and then we forget about it. and We start our new day, but the pain is still there. The problem is still there. The cause of the problem is still there. And, you know, I just had to come clean and, and, and say it is what it is. And my life wasn't what I wanted to be, but I'm not going to let that continue to bring me down because every day that you wake up is a chance to get better and do better and be better and treat others better. And that's what I, and that's kind of what, how I, how I looked at everything. So. Mike always asks a question that we usually end with, but it's a good segue for right now because we're on it. Yeah. So Argo, how do you tend to your mental health? I mean, you've come out and talked about it, but how do you tend to it when you're alone? How do you tend to it when you go through bad days? Uh, I talk, I stop sucking it in, you know, um, now that I, since that day on IG Live, um, there are people who have come out and said, hey, man, like if you ever need to talk, I go through the same thing. Let's talk. And these are people that were close to me and I had no idea, felt the same way or had the same issues. So we talk. Um, I still go to counseling every night. I don't go to counseling as much as I used to, but I still do. Um, I talk to my priest. You know, I, I don't hold it in. You have to get that burden off you. You have to. You have to be able to be comfortable with being vulnerable. 
you know, and I think that's part of the hard thing. It's that vulnerability that we're afraid of, that we fear, uh, along with the judgment. But once you get past the judgment part, it's being vulnerable and saying, hey, I don't want people to know that I feel this way. People are going to judge me or people are going to think that way. But at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you. And you have to figure out what's best for you because what works for me may not work for somebody else. So what I'm saying, somebody else may have tried and tried a million times and it doesn't work, but there's something out there that will work. I have a question because you, I got, I was fortunate enough to sit in on you filming a segment of your documentary. Was the documentary therapeutic? It it is. It is. Uh, And like, I said before, that first video after I had to go to the gun, that whole story uh, was very therapeutic. But doing the things that you are passionate about creates a release and, uh, and provides an opportunity for an emotional release that you may not even be aware of. Uh, and it's, it's those things that you have to seek, seek out in your life. I don't care if your passion is knitting. If you sitting in front of nothing in a chair with needles and yarn and you knit until your fingers are numb and that releases all that negativity and that pressure then do it i don't care a buddy of mine loves building legos my son is just all in our conversation but i love it though because i want him to learn from early an early age that it's okay to be human it's okay to feel and it's okay come here dude and it's okay to uh to be wrong you know and and not feel right. This is my boy, y'all. <laughs> Say hi. Hello. Yeah. Hello. So, um, but you know, and it's okay, you know. And and I think that, I, and, and I'm going to go back to what you said. But I think that one of the problems is, as men, we teach our boys, no, don't cry, no, suck it up, no, don't feel that way, you know. And I'm guilty of that to a certain extent. But I always want him to know that he can always talk to me, and he knows that he can always speak his mind and speak op- openly about it. Now he's going to get. An answer he may not like sometimes, but at least we have that open dialogue, that open line of communication. But anyway, um, so yeah, doing those things that are that that you're passionate about will definitely help um, to become therapeutic. It may not be at first because you may not realize it, but after a while, you'll see that doing the things that you love um, can be therapeutic. Like Ken likes playing with Legos, man, and building Legos, you know, and that's his therapy. Something, you know, that's something that's therapeutic, I should say, for him. So, so yeah. I appreciate that you uh, did. There's a couple of major things that jumped out at me. One is that you mentioned vulnerability and being able to be okay with it. Because once you go through whatever the scary thing is in the vulnerability, you come out the other side. We always come out the other side. We have to. Mm -hmm. Emotional experiences aren't going to kill us. Um, The world isn't going to spin off its axis just because we felt something. And being able to, to tolerate that is really, really critical to personal growth, um, but also to know that you can do it again next time. Um, the, the problem is people, people don't want to get vulnerable because vulnerability comes with risk and risk of what? Pain. You know, we don't want any more pain. So, so it's, it, it's totally understandable why somebody would want to avoid opening up, right? Especially if they got a history of being abused when they do. Like, you know, and I don't mean physical necessarily, but also, you know, uh, just being shut down, like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, whatever, that doesn't matter, you know, dismissed. Mm-hmm. So right. I appreciate that. And, and, and teaching, you know, emotional functioning to your kids. That's, that's really important. But the other, the other big takeaway is um, you have a variety of input 
you, you know, you mentioned counseling, you mentioned friends, you mentioned priests, you mentioned um, doing your passions, your hobbies, um, and, and talking. Talking is, is very, very therapeutic because it crystallizes whatever's rolling around in your head, makes it real, right? Yeah. And then you can't run away from it. You got to deal with it once it's out there. So um, I think that sometimes one of the faults of my profession is we say, go get some help. And then we fail to say how, but even if we say how we offer like one thing, it's like, go to your, go to your therapist or, or go take a, go take an SSRI or, or like, uh, you know, go, go walk around the park. It's like, well, I got knee surgery. I can't walk around the park. It's like, so it's like any Avenue that works, do it all. Right. And I appreciate that. So thank you. But, and I, I think the, the main part about that and what I realized is the re- the reason I have so many outlets is because every problem can't be handled by everybody. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And some of my problems are specific for some certain things. I'll take to my priest, certain things I'll take to my therapist, certain things, you know, I'll, I'll share with friends, you know, and you know, while I'm sure I could tell my therapist everything, sometimes you just don't feel comfortable doing so. And that's okay, but don't hold it in. Still try to get it out. You know what I mean? Find find that place where you can be okay saying what you need to say to whomever you need to say it to. So, uh, you know, that's why, you know, I found a lot of people to listen to, to my bullshit. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, let's talk about the, the couple projects you have, the, the documentary, and then I want to yes. talk, talk to you about the Oscar Bravo. Bravo Oscar. Yeah. Bravo Oscar. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> Bravo it's all Oscar. Good. My it's bad. All good, man. Yeah. Go ahead, man. What, 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 do you have questions or go ahead? Well, no, I, I just want you to talk about them. Um, obviously, I, I want you to talk about what the project is, what the documentary is. Because, like I said, I got a, a, an opportunity to sit in on you actually interviewing Kevin Dixie. And uh, these two talking is just fascinating. If you ever get an opportunity <laughs> to watch them break stuff down and talk, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, talk about that. Talk about what that that project is. Okay. Uh, well, the documentary is called Black Ops. Uh, Black Ops, the documentary. And <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and the Black Ops. The Ops is an acronym. It stands for Opinion in Popular Society. So the full title really reads Black Opinion in Popular Society, uh, and that is speaking to the image of black Americans in relationships to, and their relationship with firearms, but more specifically black males and firearms, but inclusive of everybody in, in, in the black community. Um, and how the general perception is that there's a negative connotation when it comes to the two, we're either all criminals or gangbangers or uneducated or drug dealers or murderers. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I don't hang with any of the latter. Like uh, all I hang with are entrepreneurs, uh, educated individuals. Some are doctors, some are lawyers, literally. Uh, some are teachers, um, excuse me, some are businessmen, some are clergy. I mean, you can, I can probably go from A to Z uh, and name all the black people I know that are into firearms uh, and find somebody in some way, shape or form that fits a different profe- profession and picture that doesn't fit the stereotype of black people in firearms. So that's what the documentary is about, trying to crack that stereotype and highlight what it really looks like to be a black gun owner in America and that it's okay. Where are you at with the 
the film right now? Like how far in, how much do you have? To uh, yeah, it's, it, there's a ways to go. There's, there've been three rewrites. And the reason there've been three rewrites is because funding has been an issue. Funding has definitely been an issue. Um, I took it to, I, I always say Hollywood, but it wasn't Hollywood, but they were big time um, uh, reps for some people maybe in Hollywood. Uh, and they, and they love the idea. However, when it came down to the narrative, they wanted to change and tweak certain things to make it more marketable. And I thought that that would do a disservice to the meaning and message of it. Um, it wouldn't be real. It would be scripted and you can't really script this. You can't, you have to paint the picture as is. It has to be as abstract, uh, as, as it is as real life. Um, and so I said, I'm going to do it myself. And, do, and in doing so, I kind of stabbed myself in the foot. I remember I read a quote that said, in a, in a feature film, the director is God. In a documentary, God is the, the director, uh, which is very true. You know, and I found that out the hard way. But uh, it's been a good thing. And I'm glad that God is a director because so much has happened in the time that I initially wrote it and today. So many things have happened like some of the things that I mentioned, the Breonna Taylor thing, the Tatiana Jefferson situation, uh, Philando Castile has happened, the whole George Floyd incident, uh, the whole unrest kind of plays a, a part in it and how it spiked gun sales in the black community. You know, um, the whole BLM situation now. And, you know, I think a lot of that plays a part in it now because that's become a part of the black experience. Uh, and that's the one thing that we kind of talked about before. Um, people always think that that I remember at GRPC, my first GRPC in Chicago, my first GRPC. Uh, somebody asked me, "Hey, well, how does you know how does what does the black experience mean when it comes to being a firearms owner or something like that?" And I said, "Well, I can't speak for every black person because every black experience is different, so I can't answer that question how you want it answered." And I think that's true as far as people that are, that aren't that aren't black looking in. And I think the documentary is set to change people's perception and perspective on black Americans and firearms. I don't think a lot of people even know that gun laws and gun restrictions came about because of people that, that look like me. I almost said people of color again. Damn it. Um, it's okay. I you know, fucked yeah. up your gun. <laughs> and you, you carry the walk to talk America card in the box. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, re- and I don't know what happened to the card. So I've been putting the bracelet in there, man. So That's all good. Hey, it still yeah. gets the same message out. Yeah. So. I got to get you more cards. But. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, somewhere, they're somewhere either in storage or at my parents' house, and they got moved, and now I can't find them. But they're somewhere. I know that they're not lost or in the garbage. Well, the I, gotta, I, I owe you a shirt, so I'll throw in a bunch of cards in there. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. So, the, But the documentary is, is that, man. So... That's all it's about, man. And it, and it needs, it's, I want it to come from the people because it's of the people and it's about the people. So that's why I'm doing the crowdfunding um, with GoFundMe. So if anybody wants to donate, they definitely can. I believe you both have already donated to it, and I appreciate that. Um, Where can uh, but, people go for that? Do you know the, the address just in case they're looking? Uh, yeah, it's the www.gofundme.com slash blackopsdoc, uh, B-L-A-C-K-O-P-S-D-O-C. Um, or they can just go to my website, the Argo J website. So it's www.argoj.com. Uh, there's the whole black ops page where it kind of highlights what the documentary is about. And there's a donate button at the bottom there. 
where you now, can click and it'll take you directly to it. Now, having said that, that, you know, you just said all these, these events that have happened and black gun ownership skyrocketing, right. Mm-hmm. And organizations popping up. How does that, when do you pick a time to say, okay, the documentary's finished <laughs> because it seems like it could be a moving target at this point. Well, it, it is, it is, but it's finished now. And I, it, uh, like I said, the, the third rewrite uh, happened this year uh, a little bit before um, the election, uh, just the final tweaks about it uh, went on. I mean, literally just a, little, a couple of add-ons here and there. Uh, but now it's, it's just ready to be filmed because it's, it's kind of hard to write a documentary, you know, especially right. for me because I'm, I, I've never made a documentary before. So it's more of an out, it's more of an outline, you know what I mean, and certain topics that I have written down that I want to discuss and cover in it. But uh, it's very hard to write a documentary. Um, but uh, the beauty of this documentary is it's kind of it kind of writes itself. So the parts that I do have to write are probably the most difficult to get across. Uh, the, diff- the it's the most difficult idea to get across to the people, uh, getting it out of my head and translating it into something that is actually tangible to the people um, because, and I say tangible because it's real and I want them to understand it, see it and feel it. Uh, even though it may be more of an emotional feeling, uh, but I want them to be able to feel that. Uh, so, and I think that's, I think that's possible through the documentary. Definitely. I want to hear about your gun. I want to hear about how that all came about because I've seen it and I posed, I posed with it. And it's beautiful. beautiful. And I love the attention to detail you put into all the parts and how you selected them. But I don't actually know how you came up with the idea that like, I'm going to build a, a really cool gun with all the best parts on the planet. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I don't know either, man. No, I've been building guns for a while. Uh, and I always like to make my guns ambidextrous because I like to train with my guns and run them from both sides. So I would always try to build my guns and, force them to be something that they weren't. Uh, and then it just dawned on me, there's a company right here who uh, makes a fully ambidextrous gun, probably one of the best rifles uh, on the market right now. Uh, and that's American Defense Manufacturing. And I came to them with the idea that I wanted to start my signature series of, of rifle because I'm a rifle guy before I'm anything. Um, and, you know, they have, I've been working with them for a while told them the idea of uh, the documentary and how could we splice the two together. And they came up with the fact that uh, they said, well, hell, we'll build you your signature rifle to your specs or your specifications. And all the proceeds from it, all the profit will donate to the documentary. Uh, and that's kind of how that started. Uh, and then the Bravo Oscar was born. And the, Bra- the name Bravo Oscar, B.O., actually is a representation of the documentary, Black Ops the military phonetic spelling, you know, of the B and O initial. So that's why I got the Bravo Oscar. But no, I mean, this rifle is great. And it's only parts that I have used previously. So it's not just something I threw on this rifle. These are parts and companies that I've worked with that have supported me uh, from my beginning. And these are parts that I know work. Uh, There's CMC triggers in there, Radian weapons, the Talon, Talon safety, the ambidextrous safety, and the Raptor charging handle, Griffin armament, Criterion barrels, um, you know, and like I said, American Defense Manufacturing and Magpul. So these are all companies that, you know, make top of the line products. Uh, and we can, we're offering you something that you can 
definitely protect your home with, uh, whether you're a beginner, whether you're more of an expert, it's the perfect rifle for everybody. And everybody's loving it. Uh, and I think SHOT Show, it, de it debuted last January in SHOT Show. And I was nervous as hell uh, on range day with the rifle, but that thing put out over 3,500 rounds fully suppressed all day without a hiccup. Right. So. Yeah. One of the things, and, and, and I want to talk about this with you, Jay, because you're, you're an honest guy. Um, we got what now three black men that have their own signature gun. Five, five. Okay. Five. I think five, uh, KD, Maj, Noir, me and Ken Scott. That's right. Okay. So we got five. Yep. Um, I tried to, to create a gun with Noir, um, and also Maj when I was at Eagle Imports and we were trying to work with Bursa, but I wanted to make an affordable gun. Mm -hmm. And I think there were some issues there with foreign manufacturers. They had problems with markets. It's one of the reasons why I, I, I went to walk talk America because I was tired of shit like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I know the American market. Um, I know my friends. I know that's, that the inexpensive firearm would sell because people that don't have money and we're not even talking about black or white thing. We're talking about underprivileged, underserved communities. Uh, right, right. Right. They need to be able to defend themselves. A lot of these guns are very expensive. Now, I know there's a reason for it, and I want you to, to say why. Now, you kind of hit on it when you said that these things work, right? You want right, to work right. in gun. But is there going to be a time when we got to find an affordable gun that we can get behind? You know what I mean? For, for everybody in the community. No, um, I agree. I agree. Uh, and as much as, you know, and, and, and I don't want you to, I don't want people to think because you said they work that you were saying like Bursa's don't work because Bursa is one of the guns that is one of our, when I used to work at the gun store, one of the best sellers, it was right. an inexpensive gun, but it was a quality made gun. Like I, I can't deny that. You know what I mean? Um, like it had issues like any other gun has issues, but the gun was made quality. And when I say issues, it's a machine, machines, right. Machines malfunction issues. sometimes, you know what I mean? And other than that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there were no issues with those, and those were good guns. But I like what, and I, and I, and I, I know I'm going to get shit for this. I like what High Point does. I love High Point. You're not going to you get shit I mean? for this for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, would I personally own a High Point? No. You know, and that's just me. That's just me being honest about it. But I like where they stand because they're more concerned with people being able to protect themselves at a reasonable price than their reputation in the industry. Right. Okay. And I, and I think that matters because I can't speak to anybody else's financial situation. I can't. And your financial situ situation should not be a deterrent for self-defense, you know? And, and I think it is a lot of times I think, People say, well, I can't afford this, that, or the other, so I can't defend my family. So there has to be that viable, affordable option out there. Uh, and I like what High Point does. You know, speak, say what you will about it. You know, call it the dope dealer's guns, call it the Gator Special, call it your 40 Glock, make fun of it all you want to. Uh, the company, I think, is very patriotic. Yeah, they're, I, think, they're... I, I think they're sincere about it, too. They're not just trying to sell shit. So their president, Charlie Brown, is one of my my mentors. Um, he was one of the first individuals that like guided me in the industry. We met at my first NRA show, which was my first experience in the, 
the firearms industry. Um, I used to be a sales rep and I would go around the country and a lot of people compared Bursa to High Point because we were on the lower end, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, when it came Mm -hmm. to price and people would say really, they'd say dumb shit. They would say, yeah, I don't carry that gangbanger gun. It's a cop killer. And I would Mm -hmm. literally go, which one is it, man? Like, is it a piece of junk that's cheap or is it a cop killer? Because if you say it's a cop killer, it works, right? You can't have it both ways. It can't be cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't, yep. not reliable and a cop yep. killer. And I always thought that was really crazy because to me, like I said, uh, you know, I think of the Shanine Allens of the world, you know, uh, the single mom uh, of two boys that, that lives in the hood that needs to be able to protect herself and she can't go buy a $700 gun. Yeah. You know, and she has every right to protect herself. So I guess what I'm getting at is maybe we need to put a little bit more pressure. Um, You know, I tried to do it when I was president of Eagle. Uh, A lot of people did not agree with my marketing strategy. They, they, I I feel like they, they had to stay inside the group. They couldn't break off and be like, I don't give a fuck what, you know, you think of my gun after I market to a certain uh, group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe we need to put some pressure on somebody. Somebody's got to be able to make something super affordable that speaks to the people of that community. Um, and I think it's time, right? Mm-hmm. You got five brothers with guns right now, signature series. Um, that's a powerful thing. You know, maybe it's a it coalition. That, you it, know. It, it might be. It might be. And I mean, we could all assemble like Voltron pieces. I don't give a damn. Like, you know, and, and come together and do what we need to do. But, uh, I think ultimately, though, it's not going to be up to us. We can want something, you know, like we just like we want air, you know. That's <laughs> you know you know how bad somebody wants air. Like, uh, like I, I remember listening to a, a speaker say that you don't really want something in your life until you want it as bad as you want the air you breathe, you know. And you don't even realize how bad you want air until you don't have it. You know what I mean? You know, and and that's what it is. Uh, you know, I think we could do that. We could come up with it. We could come up with a great marketing strategy, like you said. But, and, and, and we could not give a shit about the pushback we'll get from it. We could, we could have all those checks and those check, those boxes checked. But will the industry accept it? And, and, it, and, it, and it's that acceptance that is going to make it a real tangible thing for people to absolutely stand behind. And, I, and when I say people to stand behind, I'm talking about the end users, the targeted end users. Like, are they going to perceive it as something that they have to have or should get? Because if we have an entire industry shitting on it, then that's not going to happen, which is the problem with High Point, which was the problem with Bursa and Sky and other guns that, you know, are more affordable guns. But I'm all about it. And, I, and I'm right there with you, Mike. I'm right there yeah. with you. Let, let me I tell just, you something. I just don't know how to, I just don't know how to, how to beat that particular monster jay these these manufacturers they're like drug dealers they all have the best they, they all have the best shit it's all yep. worth more than they think it is yep trust me i i argue with these guys my guns like just like that it's not though right right <laughs> like right. whether it's even your gun could be better quality wise but your name doesn't command 900 or a thousand dollars for it i'm sorry you know what i mean and that's I, I think that's what these guys are. I, I think they're leaving a lot of money on the table because money is money. It's good wherever it comes from. It 
whatever community it comes from, it's still, it's the same everywhere else when you spend it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and this is what I mean. If this industry wants to, to, to stop being a villain all the time, let's just start doing some crazy stuff that's out of the box that, that shows people that you can't say that about us anymore. You know what I mean? And that's, that's how I feel about it. I, I, I totally agree with you. And like, like you made me think of so many things when you just said that, but like, there are so many, and like you said before, you're not speaking about like the black community. I'm doing air quotes for those of you that can't see me. The black community, the quote unquote black community. This is a socioeconomical thing. You know what yes. I mean? This there there are a number of people of all nationalities and cultures that struggle to make ends meet. Okay, let's be real about this. Uh, and it's a fact. And all Americans need to be able to have an affordable option for self-defense. And, 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 and I want to tie this back into something because this is what I thought of when you said that. When you lack the ability to protect your home and what you love most, that plays a big part in your mental health. And people don't realize that. People don't realize how that plays into what you feel and how you think about yourself. Okay, as, as a parent, as a man, if you're a man in, in a home, you know, and you don't want to protect your family, as a mother, if you want to protect your family, as just a human being, people don't know how that affects your mental health if you do not have the ability to protect what you love and value most. You know how that tears at you, like how it eats at you? I've been there. Like, and that's why, I, you know, politically, I, I can't understand how anybody would, would, would try to move one way. I, I, I look for the opportunity to get in front of somebody like Joe Biden and have my son next to me and tell him to tell me to my face that my son's life doesn't warrant the ability to protect it. Like, cause that's what you're telling me by doing all this stuff that you're doing and trying to legislate away something that you don't understand or don't like. Like you're telling me that my son's life ain't worth a damn to you. And, and that's when we fight. That's when I show you how much my son's life means to me. But anyway, going back to that, uh, you know, uh, you're right. <laughs> I just don't know how to get over that hurdle, Mike. Yeah, I, I would like, say that I'll, I would do it with avidity, but it, we're on year number 10, Rob and I, <laughs> trying to make gun number one. No, seriously, yeah. though, that's something that's really important to me. And I think that, you know, if I can, if we can, we're getting closer with avidity. And I think that there's a lot, I want to work with a lot of people that go into places that the gun industry is afraid to go into. Yeah, you know? absolutely. absolutely. And, and I could care I'm, less what people say, because I, I would love to offer that. And to, you know, I do basic, I don't, I don't call myself an instructor or a trainer, like, like all the fancy people. I do basic handgun classes, which is an introduction to handgun. Um, and we prepare people for CCW and stuff like that. But, you know, I would love to offer that because that's the question that we hear the most. What is an affordable but reliable firearm? I don't have the so-and-so, so-and-so money. What can I get? You know? We hear that all the time. We hear that all the time. And you should, because there is no real option, because a lot of places won't sell high points or bursts or skies. We sell bursts, but they're so popular now that we can't stop them. When I say we, I mean my home range. I don't work there anymore, but I still go there and support them and from time to time. I even still sell guns for them. But, you know, what is an option? Because there isn't one, you should see the people's deject dejection. You should see it. You, should, you can literally see the cloud come over them like, damn, that means I got to work a little bit harder or work overtime or save something or go without. 
that and that that plays that that goes back to what I was just saying about the, a person's mental health, their ability to protect themselves. You know, uh, when you don't have that, that's important. Think about having a family but no roof over your head. Like, how would that do to you? That's the, the I, I equate the two the same. You know, that roof protects you from the elements. It keeps you safe, protects you from whatever else might be out there. That's the same thing a firearm does. And if you can't protect your family, what? how does that make you feel? Like, yeah, and living with that. You're, you're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And for those of you who don't know, there's five right. five levels, right? And it's in a triangle. So the bottom one is the most important. Um, it's basic needs. It's your it's your food, your water, your, your mm-hmm. clothing, um, necessities, right? Next level up is safety and security. That's shelter and protection. And then the next one after that is love and belonging. So even bef- before you can ever go out to get a, get a mate, you know, or, or go party with your friends, you got to be safe and secure and you have to have your belly full above that is something called esteem needs. So that's your, your education essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then above that is self-actualization when we go, you know, digging deeper and exploring the whys of the world. Um, and, And when we talk in terms of like you, I mean, you could not have painted it better when you said it stresses people out when they can't, protect themselves or they don't have the ability or the means right and that could be that could be just a house right having a house is mm-hmm. number two on the list um and so if you're trying to talk esteem needs to people and you're like hey go do yoga go go meditate go go to church and pray and go, go be around your friends but their essential needs of maybe it's maybe it's food and water or it's shelter and, and defense are not being met, they're not going to be able to be present for those types of interventions. So I think it's really disingenuous to people like in my community be like, oh, you're stressed out about the pandemic and the fact that you lost your job. You should go to therapy. It's like therapy, MFR, you, you, you just took away my, my business. Like, and you want me to go to, you, you want me now to go like to counseling when I can't even put food on the table and the unemployment isn't coming in. So, so that's Maslow's hierarchy there. But something that jumped out at me too, when you guys were talking about like the obstructions, because the the quote unquote industry won't let you, whatever that means, you know, they won't accept it. And there's all this trash talking and people don't support each other. I'm reminded of the story I told about the, the AAMFT. It left all these people homeless. Like there's nobody who wants to belong to the AAMFT anymore. If you're a marriage and family therapist, because they don't stand for you. And I'm wondering now it's like, okay, we're all looking around for the person to emerge at like the strong man to pull it all together. It's like, well, what, what if we're staring at him? What if we're, what if every one of those people has been on this podcast already? You know what I mean? Like maybe we need to start having some meetings about that where we go, fuck this noise. We're all, we're all in this. We're all saying the same thing. We circle in the same avenues. Like who is it that we're afraid of? Like, Where's the boogeyman? And then we start setting the trend. We start pushing it out there. And we go, this is the, this is the, the three or four pronged agenda. Take people seriously. Arm everybody with, you know, regardless of their ability to pay for it. Treat mental health well and be inclusive. You know what I mean? Like add your bullet points if you want. But it's like we start saying this to all the other people we know. Eventually, Who's there left to say no to it? Like, oh, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Like, well, you don't get a chance to disagree because now you're in the minority. Like, you, <laughs> I don't know. I get, I just get fired up because sometimes you look around and you're like, oh, somebody else will do it. It's like, there is nobody else. We are it. You're it. You're it. 
But don't you know, Jake, that'll never work. That's a utopian society. Like, that's something that, that'll never, ever, ever, yeah. ever be. Like, but it's so, you know, it, I tell people this all the time. I'm such a simple man that I'm complex. You know what I mean? The, the most simplistic things have become complex because people have moved away from simplicity. Uh, you know, and, and it's just, it just is what it is. But what you just said, those four prongs that you just mentioned, what were they? Uh, I don't know. Them? It was uh, uh, treat, take people seriously. Take people seriously. Arm uh, everybody. Arm, arm everybody. Focus on uh, mental health. And, and be inclusive. And be inclusive. Look uh, how simple a- that is. Look how simple that is, though. Think about that. Those are, those are things that could happen right now with no money, you know, except for army people because that takes money. But for the most part, for no money, for little effort, right, and the inclusive uh, the, the inclusivity of it covers everybody. So if everybody Lord did it, there. we you're halfway done. But you know, yeah. Who is the they that we're that you know? Again, you know, maybe I'm the new guy, but I've I've seen this done in other areas of my life, and I and I I think it could be done here. It may be a little heavier lift than what I've been used to because I'm operating in Northern Nevada. And this is literally national, maybe even international. But like, who gives a rip? Like, let's just start talking like that. Let's talk it. Let's speak it into existence by more conversations about it's just it's just inevitably going to happen, right? So, right, guys, this is the thing that we're doing. We're all doing this, right? And everybody's gonna be like, "No, that's a terrible idea." No, no one's gonna say it's a terrible idea. And look, and and I I can't remember it for shit. What's number one again? What was it? Treat people? No, take Uh, people seriously. Take everybody seriously. Take people seriously. You know, and, and here's, let me, sh- let me show you why that is. I posted something a while ago, a, a, a guy that I, I follow, who's not a big influencer or an advocate, but he put this, this speech out about why people get triggered when they say Black Lives Matter and why uh, Black people get triggered when you hear Make America Great Again. You know, and, and to sum it all up, he says, you know, Black Lives Matter, but when you say that, that triggers people because you're, you're, you're basically calling them racist without them even understanding. And you're, also, you're saying that they don't give a shit about you, even though they may or may not. Who gives a shit about that? But, you know, even though they may. But if you just add one word to it, it changes the, the perception of that statement. Black Lives Matter too, T-O-O. You know what I mean? And that changes the entire dynamic of that phrase. And it, it makes it hit home and people say, oh, damn, of course, black lives matter too. all lives matter. Yeah, you I know? saw that speech. I know what you're talking about. It was, it's really good. Did, did you see it when I posted it, when I reposted it? Or probably, it? yeah. Yeah, probably. dude. And it, I mean, he hit it right on the head. And then he says, you know, uh, why does black, uh, why does make America great again trigger black people? Because we've never really experienced the greatness of America culturally. You know, individuals have, but as a whole, yeah. collectively, no, we haven't. Uh, but if he would have said, uh, uh, I forgot what he said for that shit. Was it making it was America like, great keep, again? Keep making America great or something like that. Or, 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 make, or no, no, no. He said, take the word again off. Make again. America great. You know, everybody can get behind that. You know, and, it, and that just shows the power of words and how those words speak to our true intentions and our true hearts. You know, and, and those simple words, the, the, the omission of one and, and the removal of another could have shifted the entire dynamic of this country. 
you know, and those two could have coexisted in the same space without creating a fucking wormhole. You know what I mean? Like it could have happened. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just, it's just amazing how sometimes the simple things have become complex. Well, that brought us full circle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It is getting to be dinner time where I think all of us live. And, um, I don't know if anybody has anything else to add to this, but I thought that was a pretty nice punctuation there, Jay. Jay, Jay's in the lab right now. (laughs) You got all kinds of ideas. What'd you say? I said, you taking notes? You got some, you got some ideas for me? Yeah, man. Like, uh, like, like I'm, I'm all about it. And what Jake said just hit home with me. Like it really did. Uh, Take people seriously. Arm everybody. What was the third one again? It hit me seriously, but I can't fucking remember it. Care about your mental well-being. Oh yeah, mental health. And then uh, the last one was be inclusive. Yeah, I got that one. Yeah. Don't don't be not inclusive. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Don't be. Don't not not be not inclusive. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we got but, a lot uh, of work to still do amongst the community, um, but I'm glad I'm gonna be able to do it with both of you. I really am. Amen, brother. And I, I just want to say thank you for having me on, guys, because. Uh, it would have been a point in time where I would have, I'd have probably run from this conversation because we talked about some things that I don't think I was ready to look at. And I think when Jake said a minute ago, you know, where's the boogeyman? Sometimes when you want the answer to that question, you have to stand in front of the mirror and then ask the question. You know what I mean? And I think that that's one of the hardest things for people to do is say that I, I'm the problem. You know what I mean? The problem is me. Now, how do I fix it? You know, because once you do that, you can begin to fix it. But if you never stand in front of that mirror, then you never find out how to fix that problem and how to not be the boogeyman in your own life or outwardly even. So, Well, you know, you're absolutely right. And I will add to that to say this. Um, Sometimes it's scarier to look in the mirror and say, I am the solution. It is. Because now you're committed to it. Now it means it's around to blame when when it happens. So, no, you're right. And before we get off, I got to speak to that marshmallow soft looking ass hoodie you have on it. I like like it's it. I like it's dope. <laughs> like that. That shit is like cocaine white and it's dope, bro. That's, like, that's because you can't see all the fuzzies on it. Actually, when I bought it, it was one of those like Instagram ads. And um, I was like, oh, that looks pretty sweet. And it, it, it like looked body fit, like yeah. stuck to the body. And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd dig one of those. Um, got the extra large, as you can see, it doesn't even hit my wrists and it's not fit to my body. It's definitely very floppy. It looks it's super comfortable. comfortable. It, I, <laughs> I it. it looks like stupid it. comfortable though. It is. Like. It is. And it's kind of lightweight, but it keeps the heat in. I mean, it's, it's really nice sweater. It's just not at all what I thought I was buying. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Um, but thank you for the compliment. I, I just, I just want to put you over a campfire dude, like, and put you in my mouth. Yeah. Like, he's a s'more. A hot tub. <laughs> Start with a hot tub. Yeah. Hey, so Jay, nice homebrew. No, you don't drink anymore. No, oh. I'll drink the homebrew. Jay, Jay, where can people get a hold of you if they don't already know you? Where can they get a hold of you? Uh, at the campfire. At the campfire. Right? In the hot campfires tub. and hot tubs. <laughs> campfires and hot tubs, man. What's crazy is I've shared a hot tub with both of you dudes. So yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Man, you said it. I thought I was going to slide. I was like, you know what? No, I was no. going to jump into the hot tub comment. <laughs> no, no, you were right there with me. Yep. So anyway, but, uh, Ernie and Elmo. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be snuffy though. You know, 
<laughs> but uh, let's put Snuffy in the tub. But anyway, uh, they can find me at Argo J. That's A A A R G O J A Y at all social media, social social media. Uh, Instagram is my main. Twitter, Facebook, and now Parlor. Uh, I'm on Parlor definitely trying to feel that one out. Uh, the website is www.argoj.com. Definitely go there. Uh, and I want to talk to you guys about adding a page to the website now that I'm here for WTTA uh, or something, because I think this is such an important topic. I don't want to not give it every resource and avenue that it can have. Uh, you know, if, WTTA to yours? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need permission for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I want to figure out how to work it in and, and I want to make it so that because people think mental health and all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, fuck it. No, I don't want to need to, you know, and they turn off. But I, this has to be something that is as important as it actually is. It has to be perceived as important as it actually is. So we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, at the website, www.argoj.com, three A's. Um, and you can go there and you can buy the Bravo rifle. There's a link to that. You can donate to the documentary. And I got cool ass merch. You know, Coleon Noir, just not just, but he has this merchandise. He has that shirt. I lost my guns, all my guns in a boating accident. Well, because of this election, I came up with a cool shit and it says, uh, uh, I lost all my mags in a voting accident. And it's talking about uh, the potential for, you know, restrictions to come about because of the current situation of uh, politics in America. So uh, that's a limited time run too. So if you guys want to grab, grab one of those, grab it now because they are selling out fast. That's actually who was at my door. Uh, people delivering uh, uh, clothes and hoodies and t-shirts for that. That's so awesome. that's where you guys can find me though. Definitely. Argo J everywhere. Three A's. Three A's. J. A-A-A-R-G-O-J-A-Y. There you go. Well, All right, right fellas. You and, I, you and I need nicknames. We need, we need acronym nicknames. Yeah, I don't oh, know. you and Mike? It's not going to work. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. We, Jake, we always make this clunky. So always. this is perfect. <laughs> our goodbyes, our intros and our goodbyes are usually the clunkiest things. <laughs> Got to streamline them, dude. Thank right. goodness we have music to play in the background. <laughs> Has he heard our song? Have you heard our song? No, no. Maybe we'll just play out with that. Can we play out with that? Yeah, Will I hear it? Top of it. This is the outro, but it's also sort of the intro. It's actually pretty fucking good. Thank you. It's We're cool. proud of it. Oh, that's dope. <laughs> I freestyle over it. I feel like I'm in the studio right now. Yeah. Check. Check. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> And that does it for the Walk the Talk America podcast called Guns and Mental Health. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Argo J for attending. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike, for being such an awesome co-host. And we wish you great mental wellness the rest of your being. I have 12 seconds to take up. I'm not a good radio DJ. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my portion. So, So... How many, how many seconds do we have now? All right, everybody. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs>